Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Zero Gravity. She is a New York-based lifestyle and horror content creator, writer, public speaker, and cosplayer who is interested in creating spaces to promote inclusivity and discuss sci-fi and horror and why representation matters for geeks. Welcome to the show, Zero. Thank you so much for having me. Damn, you nailed that intro, didn't you? Made me sound all nice. <laughs> it's all true. It's though. all true. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and I'm really excited to, to dig into that. But before we do, let's take it back to the beginning. How did you get introduced to horror? I I got introduced to horror in. Um, I wish I could say that I was cool enough to you know, start from a, a wee young lad, but I started <laughs> pushing myself into horror around like middle school time. Um, okay. I was a really big scaredy cat <laughs> and it was getting ridiculous to the point where like I was scared of irrational things. It mostly stemmed from like a little bit of social anxiety, but then it just kind of got out of hand. And of course, like middle school logic, I'm thinking oh. if I watch as many horror movies and look up and this was, you know, during the time. So creepy pastas were big and oh, yeah. stuff like that. If I just throw myself into all that mess, maybe I will build up some sort of a tolerance, which I don't really know if that worked or not, <laughs> but oh, okay. I, I guess I'm still a scaredy cat with a tolerance, but um, I definitely found a home here. So even though if that wasn't quite the bandaid fix I was looking for, it, it definitely landed me in the right place. So do you remember what your first uh, horror movie was? It was Jaws. It was Jaws? Okay. Yeah. Me too. That's a it's a pretty big one for a lot of people, it seems like. It's good entry. I think it's it a good really entry. It really is. It's a good entry, but it's I feel like it's one of those entries where it's like not too gory and too fucked up, but like if you're young enough, it really does kind of get to you. 
like immediately. Oh, yes. Like I did not go swimming for mm-hmm. multiple years after watching that movie. <laughs> and for me, for some reason, it wasn't even like the idea of the shark. It was Mr. What's-His-Face in his head in the boat. Oh, popping up oh, in the boat. yes. You know, Mr. Johnson or whatever his name was coming out to, to greet later. That was what <laughs> <laughs> tossed me as a kid. But still, either way, it's it's a scary movie and it's a good, you know, a good way to dip your feet in this absolute madness of a genre. It absolutely is. So um so do you know remember how old you were when you saw that? Was that in high was that in middle school? Or was that earlier? Uh that was that was way younger. Way younger. Um and uh I think that was the start of the damn I'm really scared of everything. <laughs> Cuz Jaws was I think like 7ish. Okay. 7ish. Yeah. So like as you kind of started getting a little bit more into horror, what were some of the like other movies that like scared you like really got to you? Mhm. Well, I will say most of it was was folklore. Um, oh. Just internet folklore was what really got to me. I, I think oh. because it could it could uh, like easier get into my head because um, you know how the the internet gets like really weird and intense oh, and like in yes. some corners they really know you <laughs> and so the, all those things and you know cryptid lore those were the ones to keep me up at night. But similarly, pretty much anything having to do with like the other, which you know brings us to our conversation today. But anything having to do with the other and just the not knowing of it all, extraterrestrials or mm. or uh, cryptid things, uh, things that weren't just like a scripted narrative. Well, sometimes they were scripted in, in the movies that I watched, unfortunately. But anything with like the, the otherworldly, uh, that that had the, the deepest kick in me in my in my horror grunt years. And honestly, like still today, too. Wait, so like what what kind of like horror for are you talking about like creepy pastas? Like what like where were you exactly. looking for this stuff online? Like what were some of the ones that really got to you? Because I was also very much into that and it like scared the shit out of me for a long time. Like that stuff feels so much more real. Because if it's like written, yeah, like it's real. Mm-hmm. So like what were some of the stories that you remember really getting to? Well, I remember clearly that when like Slenderman rolled around, I felt like I had been around the block at that point. And I was kind of like, you guys are all really late. This is whatever. <laughs> this is like, this is you nothing. have only scratched the surface. <laughs> Y'all are floating right now. Um, <laughs> but, um, okay, so not quite like Bigfooty things, but um, I fell into the Jersey Devil hardcore because that's just like right next door. Right. Um, are you from that area? Are you from see. New York? Are you from that area? Like New York, yeah, New Jersey. okay, yeah. cool. Tri-state. My my dad is from Jersey, so he spent a a good deal of time in Jersey. But um, maybe that was just the sleuth in me coming out. But you know, when you find yourself falling down these rabbit holes, I am ashamed to say that I mu- probably believed a little bit more than I should. I am right there with you, though. Like believing things immediately, like more than you probably should have, but you definitely bought into it, like hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, you like you want to, and I as cliche as this is, I'm going to say it, guys. Like I want to believe, like I want to, (laughs) so I'm like, you know, sending myself down these holes. But yeah, you know, I, I mean, because like, I, I mean, I'm considerably older, and so. I, I'm I'm sad that I kind of miss this era of like being able to go on the internet and finding like folklore with the online era, you know, because it's like 
I remember, I mean, you know, Bigfoot was big when I was a kid and that kind of thing. But like it was you went to find a book and the book might have been about Bigfoot and might have been about all this other stuff. But you never I, I never knew anything about any of these other like local urban legends or like Mothman or the Jersey Devil or any of that because I didn't have anything to like the ability to like look up and be like micro focused on it. So I, I, I'm, I'm glad that that exists and there's a whole new way of scaring the shit out of people. Well, then you fall into rabbit holes and then you find things that are really fucked up and then you're like, wait, no, I just want to go this far. Like there are some questionable points of the internet. And, uh, excuse was me, that your my, cat? my cat. That was yeah, incredible. I'm sorry. No, I also have a cat who will probably make noise. So I love that. I never know what else this cat does. I'm like, yes, it's not only my cat who likes to interrupt <laughs> podcast recording. He's like, no matter how much he, I try. He's one of those guys who like, he likes to talk. So oh. he probably What's hears me talking. His name is Jay Dilla. Oh, I love that. <laughs> he is, uh, kind of a pain in my ass, but. Oh, he's so cute though. <laughs> I very love that. Good. That's okay. No, it's okay. My my cat's also a chatty cat. Like she's just very vocal, and will some will just like to share her opinion. Like she just wants to be included in the. And it's because I'm talking to you guys right now. Like he hasn't said a word to me all day, but as soon as I you know You're start not doing something, to him. no, He's no, like you want it. You That's the know? issue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what what uh, draws you to horror as an adult now, though? Um, I think. Uh, okay, this is gonna sound cheesy, I think, again, but things being grounded in reality, I think, okay. is what makes life more interesting. You know, I'm not, I'll say it a million times, I'm just like, not a fan of rom-coms, dramas, and things that, you know, it, in a very literal sense that I can see in my daily life, or, mm. you know, but when it gets kind of really out there, and especially with practical effects and now with mm. all this great CG and other worlds, having these amazing stories in other worlds and in otherworldly things, you know, invading and whatever, all these crazy stories. Um, I think that's just way more interesting than just boring old life. You know, uh, science fiction and horror are interesting stories, but when you like pick at them, you get a lot of reality there mm -hmm. and you can still relate to that, even though it's like some otherworldly story. And yeah. I think that's really cool because you know, at the end of the day, I'm just, I'm always going to be this big kid. And I like the cartoony zany stories. I like the, you know, the aliens and the monsters and all these crazy things. But when there's something that you can still attach to, it's not as, you know, shallow as one would think. And there's really, you know, there's substance there. And with yeah. horror specifically, you can say a lot, a lot. Yes, you I can. think I, I would argue that this is the genre that like symbolically, I guess, can say the most with, uh, with one story. Preach. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you kind of threw, I mean, you've talked a little bit about, um, like, uh, science, science fiction and invasions and like, you know, aliens. And we're gonna be talking about that a little bit later. But is that your favorite uh, subgenre, like creature features? Or what, what would you say yeah, is your totally. favorite? Yeah. Um, I, I would lump it to just sci-fi horror. Okay. And, you know, a lot a lot of surface outside people will generalize and say, oh, gravity is the horror chick. Let's make like a million Friday the 13th references. The dog, I don't even like slashes that much. Like, you know, it's, <laughs> there's like, there's murderers everywhere. And, yeah. you know, this is a, definitely a blanket generalized statement, but, you know, it, you see a lot of the same things. And when you don't 
have any idea what you're supposed to be looking at with these other worlds, then that that's just a little more appealing to me, but still having that dread and that sense of fear that's so important. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely sci-fi horror, like anything, um, you know, out there. Yeah. I'm doing this weird thing with my hands. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of your favorite like sci-fi horror? Up there, Event Horizon is my jam. Hell yeah. Of course. I think I, I when I get asked this question, I always well, of course, I'm going to say the Alien franchise, but I always try to put Event Horizon first because Alien is, of course, the most iconic one and a very ma- uh, mainstream one, rightfully so, because it did the damn thing and it still does the damn thing in 2021. Oh, but yeah. I do think that Jesus. Event Horizon got left behind a little bit, and so I'm still rooting for that one. I think that's like that's that's peak sci-fi horror. And, you know, this, like, old – I know you guys have seen that old freaking Twitter argument that, like, sci-fi and horror are two different things. And I'm just like, I will show them the Event Horizon cover. And I'm like, explain this. Yep. Yeah. Explain yeah. this to me. Explain yes. the whole – like, the whole fucking thing is, like, Eldridge cos- – it's cosmic horror in more ways than one. And, Thank like, you. You can't mm-hmm. watch that movie and not think it's horror. I'm sorry. Like, it is horrific. It is horrific. It's horrific. Thank you. But yes, of course, uh, Alien as well. Um, In in a very wacky order, um, (laughs) which I'm not not ready to get canceled over by Alien (laughs) ranking. But um, let's see. There's no canceling Uh, here. (laughs) I won't even freaking go there, man. You said that uh, earlier that you, you were a scaredy cat growing up. Are, did, have you retained that as an adult? Do you still get scared watching movies? Uh, oh, watching movies like damn near every time. <laughs> oh, I, I always I'm always scared. But I think I have become addicted to the feeling of being scared. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, you know, it's like going on a roller coaster. It's like mm-hmm. you like, oh, here it comes. Like it's coming. And then, you know, you get that little bump of adrenaline and and that I like, you know, and I, I like going to haunt events. The feeling of getting scared oh, is yeah. like really exciting. Mm. And so I, but I mean, I still get scared <laughs> every time. And jump stairs, of course, always get me like even the, the tiniest of ones. But it's, it's the feeling of being scared that I like, but I'm still scared. <laughs> I think yeah. so. And you play, so you, you stream and like, so you, you play a lot of like horror video games. So you like mm-hmm. and that feeling to that's a whole other level of fear to me and yeah playing yeah. a horror video game you're like no i have to actually make it happen and i don't want to but i do and it is so scary yep it's a different level of dread and especially those damn first person mm. horror games yes. will really get you because a lot of the time you could like you know, kind of detach yourself mm-hmm. from it with the third person or if it's, you know, however the makeup of the game is. But like, you know, I've been on a Resident Evil binge since uh, 8 came out and 7 and 8 are in first person. And it's like that you, it doesn't really get scarier than that. No. But also, I've like noticed this weird thing with uh, with horror people where like half of us will, you know, love horror movies and will sit through x amount of movies alone in the dark and just love it but can't play a horror game yeah but they can go to haunts and it's like the i don't know it's so interesting people's it's tolerances weird. for this are are really vast you know it's really it's interesting some people will, like get in a haunt and not play resident evil which is to me going into a, a haunt attraction is way scarier than sitting behind a screen but you know, seriously varies. 
It's, it's so interesting to think about because like, I mean, I've never had an issue going to haunts or playing scary video games or watching scary movies. I enjoy that thrill of, of all three of them, but I know some people are like, nope, I'll never touch a horror video game. That scares me mm-hmm. too much. And I'm just, it, it's, it's always interesting to hear what like that kind of, I guess how connected they are to the material and how much they can like detach themselves from it. It's, it's such yeah. a, a weird line. Yeah. Everyone has a, that line just at different times but you know if if you step back at the end of the day we're all freaking weird for loving horror this Hell much yeah. so does it really matter that much i don't think so no no not at all um okay so i discovered you um well found out about you through your your cosplay um how did you get interested in doing um dressing up in as different characters from fantasy and horror and stuff well it started with just with comic-con um i mm. lived in new york my whole life and um, one day, uh, a friend of mine, when I was in high school, was like, hey, my, my parents have an extra set of Comic-Con passes. Do you want to go? And I was like, yeah, I'd like comics. And I was really deep in uh, The Walking Dead at the time. Okay. I was, I was reading the comic, and then I was also watching the show. And I remember very clearly, because this was at the arc where uh, Michonne was about to be introduced to the AMC mm. timeline. Um, but that had, you know been done in the comics already so i already knew and i was like preparing and i was like super hype so the only thing i knew is that you know this is going to be a big gathering of nerds and at this event nerds dress up so i'm like ah yeah i'll do that too and so i like uh i i went to local nursery and i bought well i didn't buy i think i just asked them for it but like old burlap sacks and then i cut them up and then i hot glued them together to make like uh, michonne's like little iconic cape Oh, that she yeah. enters the series with. And it was so bad, guys. It was it was awful. It was like, well, maybe not awful, but it was very mediocre cosplay. It was just a burlap sack, and then I got a plastic katana from Party City and then put blood all over myself. And I was like, yay, I'm Michonne. And it was so mediocre, but I pull up to Comic-Con, and off the bat, everyone's like, hey, it's Michonne. And my mind was blown because I didn't have that many nerdy friends when I was in high school. And now... I know that, you know, of course, she wasn't even introduced to the show yet. So when mm-hmm. somebody recognizes me as Michonne, I know that they're a nerd, too. And yeah. we can automatically spark this conversation like, hey, we are we both know this source material. We have, you know, theories and let's talk about it. And that was crazy that I could just like enter a space and like find my people so quickly, um, even though like my, my cosplay wasn't anything. But it was like a gateway for me to find other Walking Dead fans. And I was like, this is the best thing ever. You know, maybe next time I, I'll come back next year and I'll cosplay as, as this person and I can meet more people in this fandom and, you know, have these conversations with these nerds that I've been meaning to have with somebody. And um, it just brought me back to the con scene. And I really fell in love with cosplay. And it's a it's a really good way to help with confidence, mm. um, especially if you're someone like me who, like, loves to live in their media. You know, I, I like to surround myself with fantastical things, which means, like, you know, a lot of the uh, the content that I submerge myself from, I have, I have idols and, you know, heroes and, and characters that I could necessarily look up to. Maybe I did as a kid. And, and then to, you know, kind of emulate that and see yourself as that character can be very empowering and, and just helpful, you know, makes you feel good. And then it's also a gateway. And I'm, I'm very much an extroverted person. I'm 100% extrovert. So it helps me find these people. And, um, yeah, it's pretty intoxicating. And so I like stuck with that for a while. 
and then just slowly started narrowing it down to the specific things I like. I was able to find more horror fans. Um, and here I am. It's a good time. What's your, uh, what's your favorite cosplay you've ever done? Hellboy. Fuck yeah. My Hellboy cosplay. That's That was like such a glorious Comic Con year. I, um, I, I built the, his uh, right hand of doom from scratch. And that was one of my Damn. proudest, um, like cosplay builds. I mean, I'm an okay cosplayer and, and everything. Like I'm not good at sewing, but one thing that I will say I am good at is building props. And that is probably to date, like my proudest prop that I've built. And, uh, I still have it displayed. Um, here, wait, I have uh, a couple other Hellboy things over there. You can see my mask and, um, some cool pops, but I, I love, I'm a huge Hellboy fan. Fuck yeah. And, you know, the way that I like to direct my content and the message that I like my content to have at the end of the day is that representation matters and you can, you know, find, you know, some sort of answer or healing or, or safe space in comics, anime, movies, etc. And I really found that with Hellboy, um, because he has, he struggles with a lot of, um, identity issues because he's like literally this big red dude with horns. Right. But he was like, he, you know, I look like a demon, but I was raised by humans. So like, you know, on the inside, I am a human. So like, what am I? You know, and he tries really hard to fit in. And I know that's something that a lot of nerds deal with. And specifically, a lot of black nerds deal with mm -hmm. um, just being, you know, a black person and a nerd. And where does that put you on the spectrum of blackness, as stupid as it is? But so that like clicked with me. And I feel like that I kind of have this shared experience, although it's, you know, to several degrees off, but I kind of have a shared experience with Hellboy. So when I finally made the decision to cosplay him, I was like, it was kind of like a full circle moment and it felt really good. And I had this prop, this build that I had just made. Um, I brought it to my first time experimenting with body paint, which was, that was a trip and a half, but. <laughs> you gotta start somewhere, right? And then uh, I was brought everything it to that in your Comic -Con. red. Was like everything covered in the color red? <laughs> oh, well, luckily I was staying in a room because uh, oh, I, I was outside there, okay. the city at that time. Okay, but you best believe I trashed that tub. Oh my god, it looked like a murder scene afterwards. I do have a video in my camera roll of like I had my friend come in and like videotape the like my ankles, the bottom of the shower. I'm like, this is gonna look insane that's amazing. that's amazing oh my god but yeah that's the one you brought up a uh, representation in horror and that's one of the things that i really love about your instagram where you have that series about uh, black horror creators you should be following and i that is one of the things that i mean you know the internet is kind of can be a really shitty place but one of the things that i love is that it allows people to find communities and find people that you know, are like you. And I, cause I had that issue t growing up where, I mean, I was, I was closeted for most of my life, but I was gay and I didn't know that gay people liked horror. <laughs> it was like not a thing that like you experience until like you see the internet and it's like mm -hmm. all these pockets of communities that you can like find. And so, I, I mean, we'll, we'll definitely be putting your Instagram information in the show notes. But one of the things that I, that I do love is your series about finding all these different um, black horror creators and content creators. Yes. Thank you. I think that, you know, I, I chose to do that just because well, also it was, I started uh, making those posts in a very frustrating time for mm. all of us mm -hmm. um, just because I had nothing better to do like the rest of us. But you know, that, that could have helped me a lot 
you know, if, if I were to have some place to start, you know, finding my people, so to speak, mm -hmm. if I just had a starting point, it would make everything easier. It would make, uh, my, my self-confidence easier. It would make, you know, me, the struggle of me being an extrovert locked inside easier. <laughs> it would yeah. make, you know, identity issues easier. Mm -hmm. And I, I like, I really can't stress this enough, but if you're like any type of marginalized person and you're, you have to find people that, you know, that are in your fandom or, you know, share the same weird hobby, or you have to, you know, you have to find your group. And, yep. you know, you don't have to limit yourself to those people by any means, but, you know, you really have to see yourself in spaces in order to really have it click that I am supposed to be in these spaces. Because, you know, even though nobody's directly telling you, like, nobody wants to see a woman direct a horror film. Mm. Like, you know, when, you know, you look around and you see, you know, the numbers and you're, you know, you're, you're physically looking at your, uh, your community you kind of get that in the back of your head, like, yep. you know, nobody's telling you that, but you still feel it. So yeah. just to have those people in your peripheral, just to kind of keep you grounded and, you know, you can help each other, help each other out and, you know, share similar struggles. And it's, it's already the baseline and then you can move forward from there. I did that one time. I thought it was just going to be like a one-time thing. And then I was so pleased. I found like, uh, Bobby and Ivo Trees first. And then, you know, I found six more people yeah. and then eight more people after that. And like really cool people that I'm mm -hmm. like, damn, where have you guys been? Like, yeah. <laughs> we have so much to catch up on. Yeah. And, well, that's um, the thing the yeah, I don't know when I'm going to stop, but. <laughs> but like with the horror, I feel like that's the problem. It's like people like, oh, they like, I don't know. It's just the horror. We all know the horror community needs to be better. Yeah. About a lot of yeah, things. Yeah, it needs work. It needs a lot mm -hmm. of work. So it's just really incredible that you do that. You do that work and you take the time and put in your effort to do that work on your own to help people. Thank you. Learn about that. And like, that's incredible because you don't have to do that, but you do it and you put in your energy to do that. And that's, you know, an, an incredibly appreciated thing. Thank you, Mary Beth. Yeah. Oh, of course transitioning from not <laughs> like so is <laughs> like how do i follow that up but i'm just curious about how you got into like to, into streaming i am fascinated by the world of streaming and twitch streaming i don't know much about it and i just like want to hear mm -hmm. why you got into it and like what has been like your experience with that and just kind of like what that whole totally. world is like for you so i'm still pretty new mm -hmm. um i i originally started streaming because like I said before, I'm an extrovert hmm. and this pandemic like really had me struggling. And although this is something that I definitely need to work on, but I, I rely heavily on like good energy from other people, you know, the, the awesome, amazing, intelligent, creative people that I like to surround myself with because mm -hmm. it makes me want to do better. And, you know, especially with with cons i like uh my i travel with blurred con around the east coast that's the con that i work for and so I, I i do this like once a month and i just go to cons somewhere in a new city and i meet really creative people and they inspire me and they make me want to wow. do better i get to have really great conversations with people in different cities about professional things and also nerdy things and i just i just like talking i like being outside and so now i'm stuck inside and i have yeah. nothing to do and like i can only you know talk to my boyfriend so much about like 
you know, Pokemon theory. So <laughs> it's just not working out <laughs> for me at all. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah. Um, that's why I... I I look to Twitch and, you know, I've always been a fan of video games. I've always mm-hmm. played video games um, since I was very young. So it was kind of just like, why not give it a shot? Um, and also at that time, uh, I'm sure a lot of creators can also agree with me, but I was like, what the hell do I do with my content? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't have the background to, you know, I can't just freely go do things and create content the way that I want to. I'm, I'm literally confined to this box. Right. Yeah. And so how do I, how do I keep myself from being held back at a time like this? Because people are, are, are looking for entertainment. People are looking for conversation. People are lonely. They want to hang out. Nerds are just going to do what nerds do. And I need to, you know, figure a way around this. So I'm like, okay, Twitch is cool. I do have friends that, uh, stream on Twitch. And I basically just learned everything that I learned up until the, well, maybe not up until this point, but I'm a student of YouTube University. Like, I just learned it all from YouTube and definitely had some help with some other streamer friends along the way. But um, I just really needed a social fix. I needed something badly. And so through my live streams, it kind of feels like I'm hanging out with people. You know, and that's like, that's what keeps me going. And, you know, people come into my chat and I'm playing Resident Evil. Somebody brings up a movie and then I could pause my game. and We'll talk about that movie for, you know, 10 minutes. And people come and go just like they do in a social setting at a con or something like walking past the table. And I it was really helping with my loneliness and just, you know, the pent up like i have all this all these things to share and you know we were still getting trailers for things we're still getting you know new comics new episodes of things and you know i I don't have my outlet to let it go to so that seemed like a pretty good fix and i do like streaming and i think you know as the world starts to open up i'll probably stay here on twitch um i'm definitely gonna have to start gearing up to protect myself a little better um, given like recent events on oh, yeah. Twitch, mm-hmm. but yep. I, I, I do think that it's a good way to expand your community and horror is pretty vast. And I, I spent most of my time in the horror community. I like, uh, on, uh, Instagram and, and Twitter and, you know, there's, there's more horror fans on, on Twitch who just, you know, different people prefer different platforms. Yeah. And there's really cool horror streamers that I have never heard of that. And I, um, I just got on, oh, it's Robin M. She's amazing. And, um, uh, Daniel the Demon. He's awesome. I love watching him clean VHS tapes. It's very therapeutic. Ooh. But, you know, people are, what? are, that's pretty so creative cool. with it and you know people that don't necessarily live on your platform so i think there's a lot to be explored there i've i've met new people on twitch and and it's also a, a i think especially right now it's a, a good skill to have mm-hmm. so i i didn't feel like i was completely wasting my time i'm not trying to make a living off of twitch or anything it was just you know something to learn and learning OBS has really been a journey learning oh, live streaming. And I'm definitely not a computer. Like, I don't know if you can see, I have my freaking TV VCR back there. Like I'm not a computer person <laughs> at all. Um, yeah. But it's, you know, it's, it's a skill and um, it's like, you know, learning Excel or, you know, these yeah. softwares are pretty unknown territory, but when you have that skill, you can make more new 
content and you know branch out further and meet potential people and you know rub elbows and have good conversation which is really what i'm looking for at the end of the day just hanging Oh, yeah. OBS is a fucking monster. Oh my god, man. And when I started off, my friend was like, and of course my friend like works in production. Um, like internet production, like all those live stream things, like he does all that. And so I'm telling my friend, hey, I'm I'm starting my streaming journey. And he said, forget about Streamlabs, go straight to OBS. Because supposedly Streamlabs is just like a watered down version of OBS. So if you learn OBS off the bat, then you'll know everything. And I'm like, okay. And it really <laughs> is like a whole nother language. And it's been frustrating. I have like, I have pouted and sobbed over this thing. <laughs> but I, I do learn something every time I stream. I looked at and it once and was like, it's chaotic. Uh, it's chaotic. No. It's chaotic. <laughs> like I've worked in OBS for other things before, and I, it's just whenever I think about Twitch, I'm like, but I have to do OBS, and OBS <laughs> makes me very scared and anxious. Right? Yes. And <laughs> OBS makes me feel very small. <laughs> like, seriously, like I don't understand what you want from me. Like, what do I click? Like, it shouldn't be this hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's incredible. But okay, so we've talked about horror history and all of your amazing creative endeavors, but Zero, what movie are we talking Hmm. about today? Today, we are talking about M. Night Shyamalan's Signs. Oh my god. I'm so, I'm just so excited to talk about this movie. Um, Okay. So for those of you unfamiliar with Signs, um, it's all about a family living on a farm who finds a mysterious crop circle in their field, or mysterious crop circles in their fields, which suggests something more frightening is coming. Dun, dun, dun. Bum, bum. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. Anyway. So take us take us back, Zero. When did you see this movie? How did you see this movie? What did it make you feel? Give us your horror story. I want to hear it all. Okay. So this one messed me up. <laughs> I I can't even lie. This one really messed me up. And I I want to say I was maybe eight or nine um, when I watched this movie for the first time. And it was at a friend's house. Okay. And uh, we were having a sleepover. It was maybe it was a birthday party, actually. I think there was multiple girls there. Anyway, we're having a, a sleepover party, and um, my friend Justine at the time, and her dad was like really quirky, really quirky guy. He like rode motorcycles and like I don't know. He had a he had a big mustache, like a handlebar mustache, <laughs> and he was like a real character. He wore like newsy caps, and <laughs> I, I distinctly this. remember he would like always come up from the basement because he would smoke cigars in the basement, and so he would come up all like really sorry. Like, that's just like a very funny image like, in my head of like this guy with <laughs> giant mustache smoking cigars alone in the basement, and then emerging with like smoke yeah. coming out behind him, and you're like, yes, yes. Imagine like the smoke like pools as he like opens the door like slowly, and then the door's like ear, you know, <laughs> coming out in his newsy so, hat with a cigar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like maybe like a little glass of whiskey or something, some brown yeah. liquor. And so, so he comes up from the basement from smoking his cigar and he's like, you girls want to watch a movie? And poor, like, little naive us, we were like, yeah, like, let's watch a movie. And this man oh, no. puts on signs. And, um, I don't know what he was thinking, but a damn cool dad. We were all shook that night. And I'm pretty sure I, like, didn't last a sleepover. I, like, had a, you know, 
have his uh, have the dad call my mom to come pick me up oh, no. type situation. <laughs> oh, it's just like it's, it, and I don't think it was ever. I don't think I ever had a nightmare. The nightmares were reserved for Mister What's His Face's head from Jaws. That was the one time. Fair. But um, this movie kept me like looking over my shoulders, very uh, like. Probably continually for, I want to say, like a year after that, especially wow. because there's like so many parallels. And of course, I'm just and I was also in that mindset of I want to believe everything. Mm-hmm. So the, the parallels between the setting and just the happenings of this movie and then my personal life where there are a lot of them. And of course, there's this other like underlying um, theme in this movie that's about uh coincidences versus miracles and so the coincidences of these things being the same you know and in my personal life and just thinking about coincidences in general and it just it had me very paranoid so what what similarities did were were there between the movie and in your life so i i was uh, i was born in the west village in manhattan and then for grade school i moved with my parents when my sister was born to westchester county and we had like uh, I don't want to say big house, but like, you know, normal family house, probably as big as the family's house in this movie. Okay. Um, and it was significantly old and it would creak. <laughs> and so the, the creaking at night and also just being alone in the space and like hearing, you know, trees outside, uh, creaking things outside there, you know, is that a silhouette or is it just... I don't know, the picket fence outside, you know, kept me doing that looking over my shoulder thing. And, but the thing that stuck with me most, um, was the, uh, I think, I'm not sure if they're like crickets or cicadas, but every time, um, our protagonists are outside and the other is like near, there's like a zzz, like yes. noise. Um, and I, I don't know what bugs they are, either cicadas or not grasshoppers, crickets, something, but it's like that, that buggy white noise. Yes. And when they're, you know, running through the fields or it, it seems like it, that noise just is in the front of your speakers every time the other is near. And so I'm living in a suburban place and it's like nighttime. And every time I hear cicadas, I, my brain immediately <laughs> goes back to they are near. I could, <laughs> I could be getting chased right now. Cause I, I'm pretty sure that was like a key thing, but that noise really stuck with me. And then, uh, the last thing was there was, um, one point where the, well, it's, this movie is 2002. We're way past. Oh, we're spoiling. Oh, we're, spoiler we're a spoiler podcast. <laughs> it's, there's no way to there's, avoid it. There's um, one scene where uh, Bo, the young girl, said something about the attic door. It's like this hatch that opens from the ceiling. It's like a, a an entryway that they forgot to block off. And my house also had one of those that comes down from the ceiling to get oh, into the attic. No. And it was, I don't think it was only, like all one thing, except for the cicadas. The cicadas like really stuck. But then everything else just kind of shot my brain back to this movie and all these things that were happening in the movie and now they're happening. You know, it, it's just like, yeah, my house is old and it's creaking. But you couldn't tell me that maybe, maybe they're possibly, you know, when I'm, of course yeah. it was an exaggeration, but of course I was also eight, nine, something like that. <laughs> 
if you share, if your house shares any similarity to any horror thing you're like it's going to happen to me it's happening it's, yep. it's happening right Mm-mm. now like it doesn't yeah well i do think that that's the power of sound design in this movie because uh re-watching it for this podcast i was i i particularly took a note you mentioned the the cicadas and when they walk into the cornfield there is a wall of sound and it feels like it's coming all around you and i was like oh this is really kind of kind of intense and frightening just by using a, a white noise type sound. And then later right. on, particularly in the climax where um, you don't see the aliens, but you hear them scattering up the, uh, the house and you hear them walking <laughs> through the attic and stuff. The sound design in this movie is so well done that I can imagine <laughs> little eight or nine year old zero, just hearing the creaks in the house and going, Oh God, <laughs> I can imagine that completely with it's yeah. Because like the movie Mm-mm. gives you something to assign to those creaks. Like, well, yeah, it could just be the wind, mm-hmm. but like, I just saw this movie and the creaking was an actual out like was an other was an alien so like that's definitely mm-hmm. what it is now and that scene in the right. cornfield like that that scene haunted me before the movie even came out because that scene in the cornfield <laughs> where like, the alien leg like goes into the corn yeah, like the leg the, le- oh my the God. fucking leg so like for those of you not familiar with this movie there's like they live on it they live in a corn like by a cornfield and hear someone running in the corn and they're like it's the fucking neighbor boys again like you know typical mm-hmm. like we live those in the corn rascals con- those, yeah. those boys are fucking around in our corn um it's- <laughs> <laughs> no it's a goddamn alien and like it's this horrifying like it's only the beam of the light of a flashlight so it's all you see so you don't know what's going on and then you just see this leg go into the corn and that was like the prime marketing material for this movie so that was in all the trailers before the movie even came out and that was like set like that like skyrocketed this movie to like the scariest shit that i've ever seen because i'm terrified of Mm -hmm. i was terrified of aliens when i was younger like where i read about them all the time i read about alien abductions like to prepare myself for like when it would happen to me inevitably i don't think i ever was oh, abducted no, i don't rem- <laughs> i don't remember ever being abducted by aliens we, i don't know but like my dad was obsessed with aliens and the x-files and so was my mom but like my dad talked about it all the time so like i had it in my head mm-hmm. and so like this movie was like going to be terrifying and so i'll just launch into why this movie fucking scarred me for life because let's go i was 10 when i saw it and we rented it from Blockbuster. Like, my dad and I, like, I've said this before, like, we would, you know, I, my parents are divorced. I would see them on Friday nights and spend the night. And so, like, we'd always go to Blockbuster and get a movie. And we were always so excited for, like, the newest horror release. This particular night, I wasn't spending the night, but we rented a movie. It was Signs. And I was just, like, shitting my pants the entire movie. Like, in his, <laughs> he, like, lives in a basement apartment. I was so terrified. And he drove me home. And to drive me home, he had to drive down this, like, long, dark, windy road. I hid under the the car seat. Like I squished myself underneath oh my where you put your feet because I was terrified an alien was gonna pop out. And I was terrified of cornfields and that like all like for weeks. Weeks. <laughs> the aliens can't get the, you if you hide under the this, seat. Exactly. Like somehow it's- they were. And like then my but like my dad is a very cruel person. Like and he thought it was funny, so we could turn off the headlights and be like, oh, "Is that a little green man? Is that a little green man?" And oh, I started no. crying. I was like, "Little green it's man, it's going to happen." And like in this movie, they are not little green men. They are tall, like he, like yes. six foot tall, horrifying creatures. But like, I was just convinced that I was going to get abducted by aliens. Like it was going to happen. So this movie, like. You never know. really got into my head because it was that scene of the cornfield. It was the scene where they look out. There's a man standing on the roof. 
And they're like, oh, yeah. The fuck is that? Like, he's on drugs. Like, my favorite in any movie is when they're like, oh, he's on drugs. Like, when a guy can jump <laughs> on top of things. And then they're like, yeah. <laughs> this is what drugs do to you. But um, that, and then the scene where Joaquin Phoenix is watching the news in the closet and they have the footage. Mm-hmm of the alien walking past the birthday party, which is like oh, top iconic. 10 scariest like movie in the, in like the, tw- like in the two thousands, like moment. Mm-hmm. It is just so shocking. And so like, Holy shit, that's a fucking alien. Like he's going to show it to you and you see it. And there's no doubting, like there is something going on here. And it like creeps mm-hmm. by and all the kids are at the birthday party and they start screaming. And that's a little bit funny, which is terrible, but it's like a little girl's birthday party. <laughs> and just like, ruined. I'm like, basically all of this is to say is that <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan's really good at horror movies. And I will. Thank you. I know that he has had some misses, but I am an M. Night Shyamalan apologist. Like, I think that Signs is horrifying. I think The Village is really scary. Sixth Sense is scary. Mm-hmm. I think he really knows mm-hmm. how to create scares. Like, I really think he does know how to make things scary. I think his his dialogue is shaky. Like, this is we, this is true. But, like, mm-hmm. I think he knows how to scare the shit out of you. Yeah. I, I, I agree, like, a thousand freaking percent he knows and how to craft know, a scare he does he really does and i know that i i i'm late to review old but i'm still gonna do that after i get to Candyman. but i know that my followers are going to be upset with me because i'm i'm just biased i'm just a fan of m night i just i like his work and yeah i can admit that it's not perfect but you gotta admit the dude like he throws punches that nobody else tries to punch. And like, you gotta, you gotta give him credit for throwing those punches. Even if it's like not dead on, he really does a damn good job. And I think the biggest fuck ups with M. Night come around when he strays from horror thriller. And I really think that he belongs in horror thriller. And you know, this is what happens when you, when you leave where, you know, yeah. the sacred realm, it gets a little weird. It does yeah, get a little I, weird. Yep. So you liked old, I take it. I did. Yeah. I did too. I did too. Thank okay. you. I gave it a positive um, so, review. So, okay, I'm not. I was not the biggest fan of old, but I still have M Night Shyamalan. Like that does that movie did not sully my love of him, and it didn't land for me. But I mm-hmm. appreciate some of like the concepts that he had. Again, he has some of the like the most unique concepts. I feel like in some of his movies, mm-hmm. and like yeah, everyone's yeah, like he always does a twist, credit. but like some of his twists are pretty fucking clever. Uh, of course. The, the village twist was probably my favorite twist of all of the twists. I think that twist. was the one for me. And Mary Beth loves the village. I love the village. It's one of my favorite movies. I don't even care. I'm, a, I, I'm obsessed. With that one was, was like a nail on the head for me. That was such a freaking strong movie. Such a strong. Me and Zara on the same page, Terry. I don't know where you are, but we are, and you know this is like really rocky waters, yet. man. This is like really rocky waters, and I'm like, and I will like really get like personally offended because I hate when people are so quick to pull out the ah 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 Lama ding dong like that's not racist. Oh. Like throw this man his Hello. credit. He gave us signs. Also, like throw he this gave man us his signs. credit. Like sixth sense. Even if you don't want to look at anything else, you cannot deny the absolute incredible effect that the sixth sense had on horror filmmaking and writing and the idea of having that twist at the end. Like yep. he's not he's he was doing something way before other people were. Like I feel like he like twists obviously happened before him, but he really with the sixth sense like started something and like really 
made something special. Everyone knows the sixth sense. Everyone knows the twist. But it's still scary as fuck. But also, it's a really good mm-hmm. emotional movie. And again, this is something I always talk about with his movies, and this happens in Signs, is how he's able to make horror and empathy together really well, which is mm-hmm. always facts. Like, That's facts. Because in Signs, like it's it's a just he's a preacher. And his wife is killed in a horrific accident, which is, you know, it's shown that she's pinned on a tree after a car accident. And it's really fucked up. Like, it's really, it's so sad. And like, the whole family is trying to kind of pick up the pieces after, and after they've been, like, they're grieving this whole situation. And it's like, they're really just trying to figure their shit out. And it's only been six months. Yeah, exactly. So like, it's all very fresh. And then, you know, it's Mel Gibson plays. Uh, sorry, but uh, that's the one bad part about science is Mel Gibson. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. But then you have um, Joaquin Phoenix as the brother, the old baseball, the ex-baseball yes. player. And that's how I found Joaquin Phoenix. So once again, thank you. I'm Mitch Shyamalan. But like every. He's so hot in this. Right? He is, man. So oh, my God. When he has the little tinfoil hat on, I'm like, hello. But. Oh. <laughs> little, little conspiracy. <laughs> like he really does this amazing job of creating these empathetic horror stories where it's like these horrible things happen but you can still kind of like get through them and so you're dealing with grief and Mm -hmm. death and also aliens and like you're going through it simultaneously and processing grief through these really weird fucked up things (laughs) and i just really i think i appreciate that more even more as i watch his movies like and how he's really Mm -hmm. able to make these really emotional films that are scary totally. as fuck <laughs> at the same time yes yes but still we'll we'll tug at your heart a little bit and that that's one thing that i definitely didn't notice when i was younger um but you know when i did rewatch uh signs for our talk today i all of the family scenes just hit different. Well, I don't know if they hit different, but they actually hit this time. Because that's not something that I walked... I mean, nine-year-old me was just like, oh, shit, aliens. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> adult yeah. me is like, wow, those those family moments really, really hit. Yeah, the dinner scene was one that... Well, that was just really tough to get through. That's a hard but one. But I did notice that, like, with the, uh, the, the, uh, the signal in the baby monitor, like, the, um, the signal goes through when the family is physically connected. Yep. That's when the signal works is when they're like all together. And I was like, this is my jaw dropping, but like, yeah, that is one I thing never that made I, that connection before. That was one thing that I noticed on this watch as well is, is the, the focus on, on the family, because it's, it's through togetherness that they end up a being able to pick up the signal to realize that there might be aliens out there to be like the signal comes in alerting them at the table. And then at the very end, it's, it's them all together and there are little quirks that ends up saving the day mm-hmm. and, and deflecting the alien thing because it's, it's like, you know, the, it's, each one's of their strength, like the the father telling everyone, you know, this is where you need to go go do this. The fact that the kid had asthma and so he couldn't get poisoned. The fact that right. the one daughter is putting around the water glasses haphazardly across the place. And then the swinging of the bat. It's like all of them together working as one unit is able to thwart this alien invasion on the micro level. Right. See, the micro level. I love that about this. Like, because you have, like, you know that there's, there's shit going on all over the world. And, like, there's these horrible, like, not horrible, but these really interesting, like, video images of, like, the, 
the ships, the ships and like what's going on all over the place. But it doesn't matter. Like it's all about this family and how they come together to fight mm-hmm. their own personal alien invasion. And it's just so neat. Sorry. <laughs> that was so romantic. They come together to fight their own personal alien invasion. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like, guys, we're all, de- at the end of the day, we're all dealing with our own little personal <laughs> alien invasion. We're all the same. <laughs> Well, that's that's what it's I do true. like about the framing device of this is the fact that like up until this point, like I was trying to think of the alien movies that like stuck out to me um, in like the, you know, early 90s that I had seen. And, you know, the ones that come to mind are like Independence Day or Mars Fire. Attacks or Fire. Starship well, Troopers yeah. or like Fire, Extra, Fire. Extra Fire. That one is incredible. Starship Troopers is mm-hmm. the best. But they're very big movies. They're very, you know, they take place either like Starship Troopers on other worlds or they take place uh, like Independence Day and Mars Attacks across the world and we're following different characters in different places. Whereas this, all of that shit is happening, but we are stuck with this family that is witnessing the information come by at the same time as we're learning about it. You know, it's it's that, it. what reminded me watching this now is kind of how I felt after nine 11 where, you know, I was like watching the news. We were all glued to the news to figure out what little bits of information that was coming through at a time. And that is what this family's going through. And I find that so fascinating because they were actually filming this movie when nine 11 happened. So like they ended up having Mm -hmm. like a vigil and like a prayer thing on that, you know, once this happened, because they were all filming Mm -hmm. this movie. And the fact that this movie felt feels so like prescient um, because like, it was filmed while this is happening, so it was written before it happened. Mm-hmm. And yet the themes that it is exploring in terms of like the way that we're getting news, the way that we're seeing the world kind of fall apart outside of our window, it feels like a very post 9-11 movie for a film that was filmed totally. during 9-11. It's like that's almost kind of like meta. Yeah. Like, ob- observing a a global catastrophe and and like through your television screen or your mm-hmm. radio or whatever. And also that's kind of like the start of coronavirus when, you know, we knew about it mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, okay, first case is in New York, but not, you know, to the degree that we could ever expect. And of right. course, like, I think we all went through a lot of doubt, like, ah, this will be over in a month. Right. Ah, this will be over in two months. You know, this isn't as bad as it really is. Ah, you know, the market's not going to get fucked up. Everything is going to be fine. And, um, uh, what's his, fa- uh, the, the father, I don't remember his Graham. name, Mel Gibson's character, Graham. And so I, I like totally noticed that this time in, in Graham's character, you know, he, he believes it like off the rip. I feel like it's after that one scene where they're like running around and then they see the silhouette on the roof. I feel like from that moment on, he knows that something's up here. It's not just the neighbors, you know, in the back of his head is like, this is something funny. But of course, given, you know, what's all over the news and their, their specific situation of becoming like a recently broken family, mm-hmm. it's like, you got to suppress this and like, oh, it's just going to be fine. Like turn the TV off. Like you're trying to actively convince yourself that the world is going to be fine. And just kind of choosing to ignore, but at the back of your head, he's thinking, "This could this really be the end of the world? Is this aliens? And of course, now we're over here thinking, like, is this an actual pandemic? Is this happening right, right now? 
you know? Well, and it gave me chills rewatching it because um, his, where he's like, you know, saying, oh, we're, turn off the television. We're not going to watch the television because that's just going to make us obsessed. And then we're just going to focus on this and we're going to start seeing patterns where none exist. You know, he's like trying to calm his family down and be like, no, we're going to just try to continue on and not focus on what's going on on the outside. So it's that pull of that. But then it's also the TV that's like the lifeline. And that Mm -hmm. is exactly how it felt with 9-11. Or it's like, we were like, we shouldn't be watching all this and trying to figure out, see patterns and stuff. Because all it's going to do is make us more fearful. But at the same time, that is our only avenue to see what is happening outside of our little, you know, four-roomed house or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Jesus. Wait, Terry... You didn't tell us when you first saw Signs or like your story about this movie. Yeah, rewind. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. I'm like, wait, Let, hold on. Let's hear that. We've gushed, but I want to hear your perspective on this one. So I was 21 when this came out. Okay. Uh, I remember the trailers. I remember because there's the one, and I went to go look to see if this was like some mismemory. And there's a trailer on YouTube that's the one that I remember seeing where it was like they hit all of these different um, crop circles throughout history. And it's like 1973, blah, 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 blah. And then it's like, you know, <laughs> all across the world at different times, there's all this. And it's like, this was a warning. And then it, you know, it focuses on some of the, you know, big scenes from the movie. And I remember thinking, oh, I love M. Night Shyamalan. I loved Sixth Sense. I loved Unbreakable. I'm like, he's making an alien movie. I am here for it. And um, I mean, I was 21 and I was kind of... Uh, oh, no. Had a different... <laughs> you didn't hide uh, under mean, the you know, seat of your car? <laughs> no. Um, I, you know, I have a... Okay. My problem with this movie is not is not anything on a technical level. I think this movie from the cinematography to the acting to um the way this the scares are are choreographed to the music, the oh my gosh, the music in this movie, the moment the the opening theme comes on with the violins and the creepiness and like this guy is this is great. This is fantastic. This is the kind of score that is iconic. I just have a hard time with the religious aspect of it, because I have never been okay. born with I was I was never raised with any particular religion. I've been pretty much an atheist my entire life. We're agnostic. So like this whole the whole like thematic device of 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 kind of exploring determinism, free will, you know, those kind of these are the two choices either all of this is a coincidence or all of this is some kind of grand design, some pattern that that God has put forward. Just like mm-hmm. it doesn't, it ha- I have a hard time like emotionally grabbing onto that because I don't have any frame of reference for it. So yeah. I do, I, and I still have that problem rewatching it now where it's like these moments should be hitting hard. And I know they hit hard for a lot of people, but for me, it's just like, I am not getting this. I'm not getting the emotional empathy from this movie that I typically get. You guys are absolutely right. He does this marriage of horror and empathy so well. And it's what I've loved about his films, even the ones that I don't think work so particularly well. There's that empathy. And for this one, it just, it's never really connected with me. That aspect that, of I, it. I totally get that, though. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think Mary Beth and I were lucky enough to see this movie at an age where it's just like, ah, aliens, <laughs> you know, in, yeah. in the beginning. And I think your your first viewing just kind of sticks with you when it's like, when it impacts you like that. But I totally get that. And I did notice that 
watching as an adult that it's very this is the message that's pretty much forward in you know the uh, underlying theme of faith losing your faith mm-hmm. finding it again and yeah i i totally get that i think you have a very valid point there cherry yeah and I, I i'm glad you brought up the religious aspect because it is like a part like when i've watched it when i'm older i'm like uh maybe not hold up so that well part doesn't hold up so well but st- like regardless of that though i still loved like their family unit um mm-hmm. outside mm-hmm. of like the religious aspect and i guess like <laughs> in me trying to like so I, I grew up religious but like not that religious so i guess it didn't like that part didn't necessarily like oh wow this is like a religious journey but it, it to me it was like <laughs> i guess i had viewed it initially too as like the grieving process like it obviously intrinsically linked to his connection with god but like his also his healing process and his kind of like him sort of finally kind of coming to terms with his wife's death and trying to move on from mm-hmm. it and yeah. how he moved on mm-hmm. with it was leading back into his faith right so also like the maybe faith just was me the trying to like detach myself from it being no, a movie I- about god <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I actually I did get I did get choked up a couple times watching this this night, which oh, surprised same. the hell out of me because I was mm-hmm. like I went into this like, it's like I remember the religious aspect of it, I remember it not working for me, so I was a little trepidatious uh, watching this one because while I do remember the the scares and I do remember the way that he expertly crafts um, a lot of really cool sequences in here, I was like I do not have a connection to this film from a narrative level, and I was like I'm a little worried about rewatching it, but I did get choked up with some of the more emotional family scenes. You mentioned the scene at the dinner table where like uh, the kid tells him, you know, I hate you. And he's like, Mm -hmm. that's fine. And it's that moment of like, whew, that he is like accepting that and realizing that there's nothing he can do to change that while also trying to create kind of a last meal because Mm -hmm. in his mind, this could be the last day on earth, you know? And he's like, who do you want? What do you guys want to have? We're going to make it all. We're going to have one last happy moment before everything Mm -hmm. comes crashing down. And that that got me choked up. But it was like that kind of, it was the part where he's like, you know, it it was a little too, I guess, on the nose for me where he's like, he's a, he's a priest who has lost his faith. And he's telling his brother, there is no one watching out for us, Meryl. We're all on our own. But by the end of it, he realized, no, there is someone that is watching out for us. And he has placed all of these things to be just perfectly. It's a little, it was a little over for me, a little melodramatic for me. That might be like a little bit of a stretch. I I hear that. (laughs) So that, so that, that is my, I would say that is my one complaint about this film in particular and his filmography is that while I do think it's one of his scarier films, that emotional kind of connection to it just doesn't do it for me so much. Mm -hmm. But one thing that I did pick up on this time that I forgot is how funny this movie actually is. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. I loved the sequence in town where they're all three going in different places. And so he is at the pharmacist and the pharmacist tech is like, can I, I need to, I need to confess to you. And he, and she's like, I cursed 37 times last week. And then she's like, I <laughs> is said the F bag word. A cuss word? Yes. Where she's like, is douchebag. <laughs> and he's like, well, it depends on how you use it. And she's like, John, you're a douchebag for kissing Barbie. He's like, yeah, that's a curse word. And then she knows that, <laughs> that she knows that like, it's like, oh, then it's not 37, it's 71. Like the fact that this woman has counted and knows specifically down to the number how many times she cursed, whether it was douchebag or whether it was the F word or, and I love how she whispers, shit, or yeah, bastard. Yeah. I'm just like, 
<laughs> it was such a funny scene. Bo was the comedic relief for me. Oh, Abigail like, Breslin. Her little, like, Abigail. her little, like, uh, water, like, little, almost like ad-libs. <laughs> it's like she's, uh, like, the little commentary in the back is hilarious. Like, why can't they get girlfriends? You know? Yes. <laughs> like, like, what? She's asking the, the real questions here. Why can't they get girlfriends? Oh, she's so sweet. It's so funny that it's Abigail Breslin. Like, look how tiny she was. I know. So she's so small. But that's another thing I feel like M. Night Shyamalan does well with his movies, though. Like, there's always a little bit of comedic relief. Like, it's not too much comedy, but, like, mm-hmm. he writes in those lines. And you're like, wait, what the hell? Like, this is actually, like, kind of funny. Yeah. Takes you out for a second. Yeah. When they're running around the house. That is and my Graham favorite. Is like, I am really I'm angry. I'm going to get you, bitch. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. I am running mad now. You know, it's it's that part is so fucking funny because it's like, it, you, they look so silly. But like, of course, in any situation like that, they're going to look funny. But then there's like that really creepy, sinister thing when they discover there wasn't anybody there and there's someone on the roof. Like, it's just such a mm-hmm. great balance of like ah, that's hysterical to like just kidding it's not funny anymore like it's really good yeah ti- like really good i think timing. that's really necessary yeah to have those like ups and downs and he just he does that pretty well you're right when i loved uh kind of back with that that town the scene where meryl you know because meryl goes to potentially join the army like he's talking to the army recruiter and it's it's such an important scene because one it gives a little bit of information about how the recruiter's like well i think this is you know just like a probing which probing alien Okay, and he's like, I think this is like a, a, a probing party where like they're coming down here to you know to sort of like a probing analyze. party <laughs> to analyze their weaknesses before like the big you know invasion comes in is what he says, mm-hmm. which makes sense and it kind of establishes that exposition. But then he's like, why weren't you in the pros making stacks of cash and getting your toes licked? By beautiful women? Yeah, that did not hold up either. <laughs> what is up with straight people? Why is the I know, is why, like, why is it always I wish. foot fetish stuff that they go to? I feel like it's always licking toes. <laughs> like, is this something that like a lot of people just like are trying to like process through a joke? But they like just live your truth, guys. It's fine. Listen, I'm not I'm just, not yucking anyone's young, but thing. it's just like. It's just- what? It's such a, no, it such but a it's the random context. line. It is the context. It's, it's the context. It's like, I think you're kink shaming. Well, exactly. But, but in a kind of like, reverse. A, a woman will suck on your toes because you have money. She'll do it as your, like, as like a subservient <laughs> thing. And it's like, what? Like, yeah. what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Sir, I don't want this anyone looking at like, toes. This is the, like, highest tier. This is when you know that you've made it. When you Sir, have this is an army recruiting women. station. <laughs> when you have a ma- when you have a woman just begging to lick your toes, you know you've made it. Yeah, you could retire. Wild. Wow. That was funny, though. I forgot about that little weird tidbit that was in there randomly. We we deserve more of that zany character, that guy. He, he was entertaining. You know, mm-hmm. the, the other thing that really jumped out at me, this this watch, and like a, oh, fuck, is this this talk where, where Morgan, ha- Morgan buys the son, he buys this book on aliens, mm-hmm. and he's like, you know, giving out all this information. And he talks about how there would be two reasons for aliens to visit. One is to make contact for the knowledge of the universe, or they're hostile. And then he's like, the quote is, they've used up all of their resources on their planet, and they're looking to harvest our planet next. And I was like... Ooh, that kind of sounds like humanity right there because like we Oof. are in a we are in a Terry. place where we are harvesting up all of our resources we are looking at going into space i'm like are we the hostile are aliens we- 
I think we should take a good hard look at humanity, sir. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm like seems looking. Seems like there's some parallels here. I was thinking, I'm imagining a future where we are the hostile alien force invading because we have destroyed Earth, and it's Poor like, Martians. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yikes! That's like very uh, District Nine territory. Yeah, I love that movie. It's a good one. That is a good one. I need to revisit that one. Wow. There's one thing I, I was Ooh. surprised you haven't brought up yet, though, Mary Beth, is the, the, <gasps> the found, found footage okay. aspect. I was like. I was trying to like not sound like a found footage psycho <laughs> and like be like I'll temper it, but there it like again the scariest. Mo- I'm interested. The though. scariest <laughs> moment in this movie in, to me is the is the found footage aspect with the alien at the birthday party. Like there, like he incorporates a lot of these found footage aspects to show off like what's going on in the world, and it, it's not just news reporters; it's people's actual footage being put broadcast mm-hmm. on the news, and like. That is something that is so fascinating to me that I want to explore more like in life and research and everything is how movies, even if they aren't found footage, how found footage aesthetics are used in these movies to create some of the scariest parts of those movies. Like these first person perspectives, grainy footage that kind of looks like shit, but like that means it's authentic kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Like I love that stuff. And there's a lot of that in this movie, like more than Mm -hmm. I remembered, really. It's actually like really, really interesting. And this is like before the found footage boom, obviously after Blair Witch, but like the found footage boom kind of happened with Cloverfield and Paranormal Activity in like 2007, 2008. So like this is right before, like this is before that. So once again, M. Night Shyamalan really like playing with these really interesting post 9-11 aesthetics though because again found footage boom also immediately stemmed from how we were consuming the news and how people were like after the terrorist attacks were sharing like their footage of on their like when phones could actually kind of start recording things like finally like we're kind of hitting that era of like Mm -hmm. oh people actually like have either phones or have digital cameras which is wild that we ever carried around digital cameras in our pockets like isn't that that crazy but like it's so interesting how this movie existed at a very interesting crossroads for horror and like what horror was going to look like. See, you got it out. You got me on my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> no, what she said, every, everything that she just said, that part. Yes. Well, I, I was thinking in particular, because one of the, the tropes and in, in found footage is like, you know, that question of like, well, why, why are we, you know, why are you filming this? And it's like, people have to know. And there's that moment in here where Morgan is like, he grabs a VHS tape and he wants mm-hmm. to record what's happening. He's because he says the history of the world's future is on the screen right now. So it's this idea right. that they are watching things that is going to basically dictate the future of the world and we need to document it and he needs to have that tape for posterity's sake but there's also like the the reflective services and and kind of viewing the action through not necessarily through videotape but through like reflective services because that has become a motif in this movie where yes they're getting the news through the tv life is being reflected at them but then graham uses a knife to kind of see Mm -hmm. so like we're we're seeing the what the image is being reflected off that knife and then at the very end, of course, the TV being the ultimate black mirror that reveals the alien in the corner. So it's like our first real shot of the alien is coming through the kind of screen yeah. on the television. So there that was are scary too. Oh my god, that's terrifying that the screen. Yep. Yep. There's there's found footage aesthetics throughout this. And I'll be honest, I probably wouldn't even notice it if I weren't friends with Mary Beth. <laughs> Yay! Spreading the good word and, of found footage. Your obsession. Do you think that comes from our origins on like you know the early 2000s creepypasta 
versions of internet do you think that's where you like got into your found footage thing because there's something about like the way in which we share information that you know that's pro- that's maybe why we like you know fell into that is because when it's through a screen and when it's reported it's somehow like a little bit more real yeah so that's like so okay yes you're speaking my language because like i got into found footage through like my love of creepy pastas and no sleep and like reading these horror stories online yeah girl that felt real and i was like this shit is real and like yeah it's probably not real but like like you zero i want to believe and like i'm gonna just throw my my whole like belief into this and so it's all of these firsthand accounts of monsters and ghosts and horrific experiences and so it's like i in my brain was like there's shit horrible shit everywhere and like being on the internet is like living found footage you know what i mean Mm-hmm. totally oh i like that was that. my kitten deciding that that was the appropriate thing to do but like Aww. the internet is like a pl- it's like it's a, the new place for found footage and because with the internet there's this whole new landscape of of, of legends coming out of the internet like slender man didn't exist anywhere but the internet like he is a perfect example of this digital legendary that comes online and that we have created our own digital folklore in the past like couple of decades with things that like don't exist anywhere else and it's so fucking cool and like that is in itself is like a found footage thing and i, I think they're like a really interesting combination of how like found footage and things like Slender Man have created our new idea of folklore in this like kind of modern mm-hmm. age where everything seems like it's already been found or there's nothing like scary left. But it's the mm-hmm. internet has really allowed for this new idea of what that means. I love that. I think you're right. It's really cool. I think it's just so fucking neat. <laughs> <laughs> and so like tying it back to signs, like this movie kind of exists at that intersection. And like, think about what would science look like today? Like, what would that movie look like? Like, I want a signs. I want a movie like science told through like Instagram stories and TikToks. Like that sounds annoying kind of maybe, but like, <laughs> I think it'd be cool as shit to like have a movie where it's like told through someone's like TikTok feed. And it, mm-hmm. I think that would be so fascinating. Cause like people on TikTok are doing stuff like that. Like, fa- like creating their own found footage stories through TikTok. And like, I have gotten, I have been bought hook like caught hook line and sinker with some of them like they're so good and like in my head I'm like they're probably fake but they're so fun to watch and engage with and like real time updating mm-hmm. like what would that look like like signs look like today that's so cool it could be like a that's mommy a like a right mommy there. blogger TikTok and then something bad happens and it all devo- I'm not going to tell anymore because I don't want anyone to yeah. see it. Yeah. Yeah. You're just giving <laughs> out these ideas that some yeah. random movie producer is going to listen to this podcast and go, Eureka, uh-huh. and then you're not going to get shit out of it. Well, <laughs> oh, you better zip it and write that shit down. <laughs> write it down. <laughs> uh, that's golden. So, yeah. <laughs> that's my... <laughs> Uh, i love found footage and signs that that's the moral of the story on this podcast today no i think it is super cool it's like not it's not even about the content it's about the delivery almost right i I think that is like Mm -hmm. one of the coolest things about found footage like even if the acting is terrible it can be a really cool way of like delivering the movie and like watching it i think that's really cool totally um hard agree I got to talk about digital folklore and found footage, <laughs> yeah. aliens. So, like, I've got all of the things. Um, okay, so let's give this our rating out of five. Terry, how many alien birthday party crashers out of five <laughs> do you give signs? You know, I, I mean, I'm glad we picked that one. And because the one thing that I did want to mention is that I have a hard time watching that. Like, the, the fear of that scene has been taken out of it for me because of 
I can't remember which one, but I'm pretty sure a scary movie, maybe it was three, did like a scene where it was like aliens are just being seen around the world and they're popping up in different places. And it's these terrible people in, in outfits like walking oh, across no. the camera yes. and stuff. Oh my God, yes. I, I think it was Scary Movie 3. And that, so like the moment that that scene happened, I found myself laughing this time just because like mm. that you has been that. kind of ruined for me. Um, okay, so Damn. I do think that I'm going to probably give the lowest rating of the three of us. It's still a, a good rating in a good movie. Come I'm gonna on, give this, Terry, what is it? <laughs> I'm biting my nails. I'm giving it three and a half alien party crashes. That's I'm gonna cut one of them in I half. Thought. I think yeah, I thought you I were thought. gonna say like one well, or two. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. You know, the the thing that is keeping it from being a four or or a higher movie for me is that kind of the the religious aspect. And I do find I do think that some of the resolution here is a little hokey. But there is I mm-hmm. you know I love M. Night Shyamalan. He is I hokey. love his movies. He's very hokey and I love him. <laughs> he's very empathetic and he he definitely wears his heart on his sleeve and even the movies that i think fail for him like i'm sorry lady in the lady in the water not mm-hmm. good but mm-hmm. like for me but i you know every i, I i've seen every single one of his movies because i want him to succeed so much because i do i think that he is a very talented filmmaker so while this one doesn't doesn't hit the highs that I think his first two movies hit or some of some of his later ones. I think this is a really it's a really good movie, even though I have some issues with the thematic elements of it. So three and a half. I'm cutting one of them in half. Sorry, Alien. Uh, what about you, Mary Beth? I'm going to give it four and a half Alien Party Crashers. I definitely know what you mean. I definitely think there are kind of hokey parts of this and the religious aspect is a little bit like, mm. But regardless of like those kinds of like those parts, I still think this movie is incredible. I think this movie had such a big impact on me as a kid. And I think it's so it's so scary. And I still think it holds up. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, I will forever appreciate what this movie did for me in terms of both terrifying me, but also like introducing me to kind of the world of horror. And I think this is one of those movies that really made me think about what scares me. The the more we're talking Mm -hmm. about it, the more I'm realizing like how much of an impact it did have on a young a young horror fan like me. So I'm going to have to give it four and a half. Um, Zero, you have the final word. How many alien and party crashers out of five do you give? Signs? I award signs four out of five alien party crashers. And then also like an honorable mention award just because I like this movie. I like this movie and I do think it is a good movie. Because, you know, you got to separate there the two. There you go. Yep. Um, <laughs> because I'm a horror fan at the end of the day. And not everything we like is good. Um, but this one is. I do think this is a, a good movie, actually. And um, I think it holds up pretty well, um, which I'm very pleased to say. Because, you know, I've been doing a lot of rewatches of, of old favorites. And not all, not <laughs> all of them hold up to the to the degree that I would like them to, that they stayed at in my brain. Um, But this one does. And it's definitely not a perfect movie. Um, There are, the the dialogue can get weird at times. Um, I, I did have a little bit of a gripe with the ending. I thought it was a little bit too like, and they live happily ever Mm. after Mm kind of thing, which I'm like, Oh, we could have gonna, you know, he's, he's a twisty guy. We could have, you know, done something a little bit different. And this obviously doesn't count for anything, but the last scene, uh, the baseball bat scene definitely did not hit as hard <laughs> as it did in 2000, whatever. <laughs> but that's just, 
that's just history, you know, so can't really hold that against my rating. But I'm going with a four out of five because it's not the perfect movie, but I like it and it is a good movie. And it's scary. And it's scary with the whole less is more concept, which yeah. is yes. not easy to do. You know, all we got was a leg and we were shitting yep. ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's like, yep. that says a lot. <laughs> A leg and Mary Beth's hiding under the seat in the drive home. <laughs> yeah, that's all it takes. All it took. Uh-huh. I mean, that scene worked. Uh, that scene terrified me in the movie theater. It's a good uh, scene. It's a good scene. It's good. It is a good scene. This plays well in a movie theater, I have to say. I can only imagine. I would love to see this in a crowded movie yeah. theater. Well, thank you so much, Zero, for joining us to talk about signs. Where can our listeners find you, and what do you have that you'd like to share? Well, thank you so much, guys, for having me. I was looking forward to this, like, all week, this Hello. discussion, Yay. and it definitely was a good one. So thank you so much for the invite. And, um... Listeners can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, Letterboxd, pretty much all the social media areas at IDK Gravity. Um, and right now I'm working on, on two reviews. Candyman will be first and then old a little later. Um, and then later down the line, I'm working on my next zine, which is kind of turned into an anthology. So I'll probably Ooh. release like three at one time. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I got going on. And thanks for having me, guys. Sweet, absolutely. Um, so, listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. Uh, what was your experience with signs? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail dot com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at mb mcandrews, and I'm a gaily dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at scarred podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>